the classes in memory of Jared Orchin. And we will turn to page 1408. Today we will learn the Aftora of Jetro. Everybody got the email? No, because we're going to learn the Aftora of Jetro. And the Aftora of Jetro is about, it's from the book of Isaiah. Who was Isaiah? Isaiah was one of the most famous prophets, right? One of the biggest prophets of the Jewish people. He lived uh, 700 BC. Yes. And he wrote a big, the book of Isaiah is a big book and a lot of prophecies, is very powerful. The name Isaiah comes about Yeshayahu, comes about Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. He was the prophet of salvation. He brought um, comfort to the Jewish people. He comforted the Jewish people before the destruction. He so to speak, he told them it's going to be a destruction and therefore we need to comfort them in advance. Now, even that this is chapter six, really, this is the chapter one. What do I mean with that? This is the chapter how he, he agrees to become a prophet. That's what the, the chapter is all about. Isaiah or other prophets in his time, Amos, well, yeah, um, in somebody else, uh, Jose, yeah. Yeah, 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 there is, I think he was other prophets, and he prophesied over a long period of time. A few kings were in his time. The last king in his time, I think, was Hizkiyahu, famous the king of Jerusalem, and even according to the Talmud, Menashe, Hizkiyahu's son. As we'll get to the story, what happened there with Hizkiyahu and Ishayahu, it was very like that. Let's start read a little bit and we'll see where is this taking us. In the year that King Uzziah became afflicted with leprosy. Okay, let's stop by the... That's a lot by juice. <laughs> in the king, you can put it down. In the, key, in the year of... Who is the king Uzziah? Uzziah. What happened to him? He's the one who uh, wanted to burn incense in the temple. A king wanted to become high priest? He wants everything. You know, kings, if he's the king, right? He came to the, to the temple, and I think the high priest stopped him like this. And he told him, it's not for you. He took the pen, and he wanted to eat the high priest. And at that moment, leprosy came up on him. And he was taken from there straight to Corinthine. The big king went to Corinthine. That was the end of him. In biblical time, that was a punishment for every bad thing you did, you had leprosy. Leprosy was not only for Loshnar, for everything. Um, according to the, to the Medrash, you know, Cain, Cain killed Abel. God made a sign on Cain that nobody should kill him. What was the sign? According to Medrash, it was leprosy. Every punishment, you know, you, every time you hear something, the three leopards with a the leprosy is all over. This guy was sent away like this. And according to the Talmud also was a was an earthquake, the same moment something was an earthquake in Jerusalem. The rash. In any case, and the, the, the year that Uzziah became Uz, uh, King Uzziah got leprosy, that's the that's the year that the prophet Isaiah started to prophesy about Jerusalem. Is somebody by the door? Oh, Miriam went to get the phone. Huh? Miriam went to get the phone. No, I mean, somebody is by the door. No, okay, I'm sorry. Okay, then what happened? He saw, he saw God. Continue. Read it, start again, I'm sorry. <laughs> In the year that King Uzziah became afflicted with leprosy, a disease so severe that it's considered like death, I saw God sitting upon You see, the because the text says the year he died. But the commentary says it's not the year he died. It's the year that he got leprosy, but getting leprosy is like being dead because you're quarantined and finished. Your career is over. Go ahead. High and exalted, and his feet filled the temple. Above he saw God, I sitting on a throne. What means God sitting on a throne? God sitting on a throne means 
is sitting down. When you sit down, you're going lower. That's a lower level of God. There is how God stands. Moses saw God standing, so to speak. Isaiah saw God sitting. A lower level of God. That's what it means. Because God is not standing and God is not sitting. Then what do you want to say with it? God is sitting a lower level of God, a lower level revelation of God. Why do we see a physical, even though this is a vision, why do we see a physical description of God here and in Daniel and in Ezekiel in visions? Because he's talking to human beings. <laughs> he has to give them some type of a vision, some How type of a, of a reference. You know, it could be you know, was you know, smoke you know, with with in multiple shapes. I mean, it could be something that's non-visual in that sense. Smoke is also visual. Whatever you describe is visual. That we are human beings, we cannot relate to things that are visual. Like God, how we understand God? We know what God is not. It's not this, and it's not this, it's not this. What is He? We don't know. Then. Okay, number two. Above. Above with him in heaven stood the seraphim, angels to serve him. Angels with the name Srofim. Srofim are angels that, 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 that are, why they're called Srofim? The word Saraf. What Saraf means? Fire. Fire. Fiery angels. Because it was a relationship from God to the Jewish people of fire. It was a, a harsh relationship, if you want. Therefore, he describes, the, he describes the angels as fiery angels. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face so as not to gaze upon the divine presence. And with two, he covered his feet because of modesty in God's presence. And with two, he flew to do God's mission. Okay. He says the angels had wings. That's why in all the pictures, angels had wings. It comes from here. Obviously, it was a vision. The angels don't have wings. They don't, they're not physical. But... That's how he put them. And the two, they covered their faces, just like Moses before he faced God. He saw God, he covered his face. With two, they covered their legs, so to speak. And we two, they are flying to do God's mission. Whatever it means. Okay. Number three. Go why, why, why do they have to cover their feet? He says, out of modesty. Mm -hmm. Is that you know, why you take your shoes off at Mount Sinai and when the every, every, every all, you right, every yeah. holy place you take off your shoes out of respect. Taking off your shoes is a stain, statement of humbleness. Going to the temple, you took off your shoes. You could not walk with shoes on the Temple Mount because it was the holy ground. If it ever is holy ground, you don't want to separate something between you and, and the ground. And it's a statement of holiness. It's not walking, what's the problem? Okay. <laughs> and then in number three, he says, They called to each other to begin praying together, and all together they said, Holy, holy, holy. You see, with the, in the prayers we say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvaot, Meloch, Holaretz, Kodot. This whole line comes from here. They call to each other. They get permission from each other. They're actually encouraging each other to praise God. How they praising God, they say Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. That's why by the Amida, when we say Kedusha, when we announce that everybody stands, and not only we stand, we put our two feet together. Many people don't know that. In general, during the Amida service, you have to put the two feet together. And also, when you say the Kedusha, you stand up, you put the two feet together, and you don't talk, and you don't say, I'm sorry, and you don't say, eh, eh, God bless you, you don't say anything. You stand together, and you're speaking to God. Why we put the two to fit together? Because in another place, the angels are described as Veraglem Regel Yeshara. Who describes it? That they have one foot, one straight foot. Ezekiel? Ezekiel, yes. It's the after of Shavuos. The after of Shavuos, if you have it here, you can see it. Um, is also describing the revelation of Ezekiel, how he saw God. I think it's the Shavuos of Torah, if I remember correct. Why is choice of three? Yeah, one second, one second, one second. Yeah, if you open on page 1521, here it speaks about four, uh, four uh, wings. 
but in, what, what we want to point out, page 1521, number seven. Read it. Their legs were straight legs without joints, and the soles of their feet were like the bottom of a calf's hoof, sparkling like pure bronze. But the Raglayim, the way it's written, regular Yeshara, one foot. Raglayim, plural, one foot. But then regular, it's one foot. That's why you put a foot together, just like angels, because he's saying a prayer for, me, for what angels say. Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh is the prayer that angels said. That's why we are behaving like angels at that moment. So the wings cover the feet and there's one leg, or how, how's that work in there? That's or a contradict between two visions. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line is that angels have one foot. <laughs> that when we want to look like angels, we put our foot together. Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts above the world of the angels. What means the God of hosts? What means the God of hosts? Is that Elohim there? What's host? Uh, the group of angels. Tzava. What a tzava. Army. Right? Tzava. Right? Tzava means army. God, God of the armies. What means God of the armies? He's the God who he has many angels, groups of angels, like you said. He has a whole army of angels who come with him. It's written there is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. That's how it's written in the prophet. I think it's written in Daniel that there are thousands and thousands of angels. You remember? I don't remember where, but I know this. Yeah. It's Daniel. I think it's in Aramaic. Yeah. Uh, so okay. Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts above the world, the angels above the planets, and this lowly world. The whole earth is full of his glory. Mm -hmm. The posts of the door moved many feet at the voice of he who cried, and the house was as if it was filled with smoke. Basically, the whole place was shaking. It's all a vision. In this vision, he saw when the, when the angels say, Kadosh, 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 the house of God or the temple, whatever it was, was full of smoke and the, everything was moving. That's what he saw in the in, in in vision. And now comes his reaction. Um, we are number <coughs> five. Okay, you want to continue, Barry? Then I said... Woe is me, for I am lost, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the God of hosts. I am surely unworthy to do so. Okay, here, Isaiah, the first time he sees such a vision, he says, wait, wait, what am I doing here? I'm a I'm a man of unclean lips. It means to say I'm not pure enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm tameh. Ki isht mesfatayim. I'm a man of unpure lips. And then he added something more. And I'm sitting among a people who have unpure lips. It means the Jewish people are impure. They don't deserve. I should see such a such a revelation. And. And I see God, the God of host. The Lord will be with me, so to speak. So if he had stopped with the first statement, would he have been okay? Would be okay, yes. Yes, yes, that's what matters. Don't says. put down the Jews, sir. If he put down, oh, here we go. <laughs> Isaiah, right in the beginning, got it wrong a little bit, right in the first minute. Lady Isaiah said the most beautiful prophecies about the Jewish people. Mm. He defended the Jewish people in amazing ways. But right in the beginning, he said, I'm sitting among unclean people. He said bad things about God, about the Jewish people. Chapter two is, you know, the entire chapter is pretty bad. <laughs> no, this is this is reprimanding, not to say that they are. Here is what, so to speak, tells God that the people are impure. God doesn't want you to tell me that people are impure. You don't you know them. And what happened to him? He right away he was punished for it. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin of defaming the Jewish people purged. That right away, in his vision, could be woke up and he felt like he was burned. 
uh, angel flew and took a coal from the altar and put it on his mouth. And so to speak, with this punishment, purified, he said, the, what, 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 he says, I have unclean lips. What is his unclean lips? That he said bad things about the Jewish people. That is unclean lips. So is this suffering that atones, or how do we understand this? As an atonement. Mm -hmm. As a purification, not an atonement, not as a suffering, is a purification for, for saying such what? What's the difference in this context between a purification and an atonement for a sin? And the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a punishment, that's what I mean to say. It's a purification. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't end. The Medrash says that later, he still paid for it. Isaiah was a prophet during the time of the king Hiskiel. The king Hiskiel was already, was the king of Israel when it was only Judah. Isaiah started to be, become a prophet when there was the Assyrian king. The Assyrian king was a, he was a superpower who took over the world. And we spoke a few times about him. The Assyrian king conquered pieces of Israel and chased the 10 lost tribes were lost by him. What means they were lost? He had a philosophy to move population around. Yeah, what is happening now in Europe, they go here, they go everybody. He made from every person in the world a refugee. That he came, the first he took the, the two and a half tribes who lived on the other side of the Jordan and exiled them. Then he took another two tribes, another, over a period, I think, of 10 years, he threw them all out. He finally came to Jerusalem. By that time, it was only the kingdom of Judah. He got rid of the kingdom of Israel. What means the 10 lost tribes? They were exiled. They assimilated. They are lost. Now came, he came to, it was only the kingdom of Judah. He came to Hizkiah. And he came with an army. Assir, the Assyrian king, uh, Sancheriv, the king of Ashur, came with an army of 82,000 soldiers, Erev Pesach, to Jerusalem to destroy the city. And he ordered we should make him a tower. And he got up on a tower, a very high tower. And he looked over the city from the tower. And he saw this little Jerusalem. <laughs> For this, I slept 82,000 soldiers. Everyone will take a stone tomorrow, destroy the city. 82,000 soldiers throw a stone on the city, it's over. Didn't take much. That night, oh, that within the city, it was a siege. They made a siege over around Jerusalem for a while before that. It was a fight inside the city. Should we give in or should we not give in? And in the middle of all of this, Hizkiah, the king of, the, of, of Judah, is sick. And some people said, let's give in. Let's go out and, and surrender. And they sent out a message. Shabne the leader of the Sanhedrin and his group, they want to give in. They, go, they want to, to surrender. Chizkiyahu and Isaiah, Ishayah and Chizkiyahu, they don't want. They even told them who is the guys who don't want them. And Isaiah, I got told Isaiah, go to Chizkiyahu, don't be afraid. At the same time, according to the message, it was the same time, Chizkiyahu was sick. Isaiah came to him and told him, why are you sick? He, told, he asked, why is he sick? told them you're sick because you did never get married. And God wants to punish you. He says, I didn't get married because, because I knew I'm going to have wicked children. I knew I'm going to have wicked children. He said, that's not your business. Man, the, it's not, what, God, what God's business is God's business. We have to do our thing, and the rest is the end of that. I told them, okay, then I will, I will give me your daughter, he tells them. Hezekiah tells Isaiah, give me your daughter, that between me and you, there are better chances tzaddikim should come out. He told eh, it's too late for you, it's over. It's over. Hashem says, you're going to die, finished, done. Hezekiah told him, I have a tradition, I have a message that I received from my father, of my father's father. Hezekiah is a directed descendant of King David. All the way to King David. You never give up. Told him, get out. Told Isaiah, finish your prophecy and live. He turned to the wall, and he was on his bed. He turned to the wall and said, God, remember all my good things that I did, and give me another chance. Isaiah gets a prophet, go back to Hezekiah, and tell him he has a second chance. I said, he will not believe you. He said, he will believe you. Go. 
he went back, he told them God will give another chance. He got another 15 years. And guess what? He married Isaiah's daughter and they had two children and one of them was Menashe. And as he expected, he was the most wicked king in Jerusalem. Well, one of the most wicked kings. And once he decided he has to kill his grandfather Isaiah. Why kill them? He told them, I read in your prophecy, you saw, you write right here in the prophecy, so you say, I saw God? How could you see God? Didn't Moses, your, your rabbi, said? What, about, what Moses said? Can you see God? Can't see God's face in the world. If you put, you put, open a page 575, Moses wanted to see God. Number 18, 575, number 18. Dr. Koso, you want to read? Since Moshe perceived that the time was opportune, he said, Show me, please, your glory. Show me your glory! He wanted to get at the whole thing? No, no. Continue. He said, I will let all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of God before you, but I will still favor whomever I wish to favor, and I will have compassion for whomever I wish to have compassion. He said, you will not be able to see my face, for no man can see me and live. Oh, for no man can see me and live. Then he says, Moshe, Rabbeinu, your teacher said, no man can see me. And you see, I saw God. Go tell him that this is a different level, a different speaking. He's talking about a different level of seeing. What he meant, what Moses said seeing means it's one level that cannot be seen. What, what Isaiah meant was a vision. A vision he didn't see. But he said he knew that answering to a menashe would not help. Because he looked for a reason to, to get rid of him. But he ran away. He ran away, he sent his police to run after him. But the Medrash says, the Talmud says, Isaiah said the name of God, and he entered into a tree. He was swallowed by a tree to protect himself. How they know which tree? It tzitzis was sticking out. That I say that Menashe ordered to cut the tree. Couldn't cut it until they were successful. They killed Isaiah, cutting him by his mouth, mm. by his lips. The Talmud says, why by his lips? Because he said, I'm sitting among a people of unclean lips. Because he said a bad word about the Jewish people. Once I remember the Rebbe speaking about it. How I know the story? The first time I know the story. I heard it from the Rebbe. The Rebbe didn't go into all the details. The Rebbe said, and we all know the terrible thing that happened to Isaiah in, in a half a world. I went to check out what that terrible story. You know, stand by the Rebbe and be like a book who don't understand what's going on. <laughs> the Rebbe spoke about a rabbi in Bnei Brak, in Israel, who said it was before the first Persian Gulf War, when Saddam Hussein threatened that he'll destroy Israel. And the whole world was scared, and the stress was unbelievable. And Israel was under huge stress, and the Rebbe said that nothing will happen to Israel. And this rabbi came out and said that God is going to bring another holocaust because the Jewish people have made a lot of bad sins and he, every time he waits until they accumulate and then he gives it to them. And the rabbi was very upset that he spoke like this. And the rabbi quoted, the rabbi said, how do you say bad words about the Jewish people? Look what's the punishment of Isaiah. The great Isaiah got such a punishment. And the rabbi said something even more. Why Isaiah said it? How comes to Isaiah such a mistake to say such wrong? The Rebbe said that Hashem may, it may happen to teach us a lesson. He shouldn't speak like this. Who else said bad words, about, uh, complaints about the Jewish people? Elijah. Elijah. Elijah, it's also a Torah here. The Torah is in Pasha's Kairach, I think. He will one day come to this Torah too. But uh, you can see it here. Um, 
‫שחרר לך חוקה, חוקה זאת. ‫בולות, בולות. ‫או, עם פינחס, ‫אני רואה מתופעה. ‫פייג' 1461. Number 10, it's talking about Elijah. Uh, Elijah. Number 9, you can start to read it. Anybody who wants to read, you can start from number 9. Um, he came, he came. to the cave, to the same cave where Moshe had stood, and he slept over there. Elijah ended up in the cave of Moses, it means to say at Mount Sinai. It's actually connected to the parish of this week. Okay, suddenly. Suddenly, the word of God came to him. Why are you here, Eliyahu? God said to him. God is asking Elijah, what are you doing here, by the way? <laughs> okay, he said. He said, I have zealously avenged God, the God of hosts, and killed the prophets of Baal. For the children of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. I'm the only one left, and they want to take my life. Hey, not such a nice uh, commentary about the Jewish people. They killed, they, they, your children have co uh, abandoned the covenant, Put down, uh, kill, destroy the, the, the altars for God and kill the prophet, the Jewish prophets, the good prophets. And I'm the only Jewish prophet, the only honest prophet who speaks in the name of God alive. That's what it tells God about the Jewish people. Did it happen? Was it true? It was true. So why is it bad to speak the truth? Uh, <laughs> You've never been a criminal defense lawyer, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> the truth. That God doesn't know the truth. God wants the prophet to defend the Jewish people. He wants the prophet to find the good side of the Jewish people. And what means abandon the covenant? It's such a statement. Everybody, not one person didn't abandon the covenant. God doesn't need the truth. God wants you to find something good about another, to be should say, about another Jew. When the teacher tells you that your child is really bad and this short, you like to hear it? I didn't meet, I didn't meet any parents who is hugging the teacher when he tells them your child is terrible. <laughs> and usually when it's true, and they know it's true, they walk away angry with the teacher, not with the child. I, I saw it many times. There was no matter what you want. This is God's children. God came to a parent meeting, to a teacher's uh, conference. conference. He asked Elijah the prophet, what are you doing here? He said, I came to tell you how your children behave. <laughs> That's what I need you for. The job of the prophet is to defend the Jewish people in the eyes of God, to find good things about the Jewish people, not bad things about the Jews. Then God gives them another chance. God tells them, go out and, and, and stand at this, and all. Basically, turn the page, and he heard God passing by, and God is asking him the same question. In number uh, number thirteen, continue. What happened? What happened was when Eliyahu heard this silent voice, he covered his face with his cloak because he realized the divine presence was there. The same story, like in the, all the same Moses. Isaiah, Elijah, it's all the same thing. Go ahead, Dan. Then he went out of the cave and stood at the entrance to the cave. A voice came to him and said, What are you still doing here, Eliyahu? Elijah, what are you doing here? God gave him a second chance to change, to change his version. He didn't. He was honest. Go ahead, continue. He said, I have zealously avenged God, the God of hosts, and killed the prophets of Baal. Please help me for your sake. The children of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. I'm the only one left, and they want to take my life. Okay. God said to him, look, hear the reaction of God. God said to him? God said to him, go back on your way to the Damascus desert to which you came. When you come there, appoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Appoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, Nimshi as king of Israel, and appoint Elisha, Elisha the son of Shaphat, from Abel, Matola, to be prophet in, in your place, place after? After you depart this world. <laughs> you heard? God told them, go and look for another prophet. You lost your job. 
When you lose your job by God, it's not good. It's not like you're going to look for another job. <laughs> he said, basically, if you, if you cannot defend the Jewish people, you don't need that. What happened to Moses? The same thing. Moses came at the, at the, at the eating of the rock. Well, how Moses turned to the Jews? What did he call them? Stiff neck. Not stiff neck. What did he call them? Rebellious. Rebels. Yes, rebels. Listen, rebels, he told them. I don't know, rebels. Shine. This is it. They became rebels for you. And we have to look for somebody who doesn't think they are rebels. That's Pasha's uh, focus, right? On page 995. Number 10. Number 9. Go ahead. 995, number 10. Number 9. Number 9. Moshe took the staff from before God as he had commanded him. Moshe and Aaron assembled the congregation in front of the rock, but they could not figure out which rock to speak to. The people began to mock, so he said to them, Listen, you rebels. How could we draw water for you from this rock if it is not the right one? Listen, you rebels. Two lines later. Um, you turn the page. Number 12. God said to Moshe and Aaron, Since you did not believe in me to sanctify me in the presence of the children of Israel, for you hit the rock and did not speak to it, therefore you will not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. That's it. You're fired. Basically. Then actually, Isaiah came out easy. Because Isaiah was in the beginning of his career and God needed him. <laughs> 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 then God purified him. But this, what, what I mean to say, it's so important to learn. How is it not to, not to um, criticize and say bad things about the Jewish people? especially about a group, about a general group. Oh, they're bad, they're this. God doesn't want to hear, like we don't like to hear about our children bad things, even if they are true. So to God doesn't like to hear one child criticize another child. And in general, being negative is so, so wrong, so it, it's so counterproductive. One of the Rebbe's most important, powerful things was his clean language. He never said a negative word. A simple example. Somebody asked you, what happened to this guy? He said he died. He never said he died. He said he's not alive. In the Rebbe's vocabulary, nobody was sick. They were not healthy. It's not dark. There is no light here. Everything. In Israel, the hospitals are called Bet Cholim. Bet Cholim means literally the house of the sick. The Rebbe, the whole campaign, used to be called like this. And the whole campaign to call it Batei Refua, house of doubt, out of cure. Why are you going to this hospital? It's psychologically, you're going to the house of the sick, or you go to the place to be. Here it's called the health centers, medical centers. It's all about sick centers. There was a guy who opened the uh, hospital in Bnei Brak. He came to the Rebbe. The Rebbe, I think, I think he told the story, the Rebbe gave him an open check, told him, you can write whatever you want. But he asked him one thing, call it a house of health, a house of cure. And he lived up to it. Now almost all the, in Israel, everything is better for, uh, and it's, a, it's all uh, medical centers, translation of medical centers in Hebrew. No more, batei cholim, the house of the sick. It's all about not speaking any negative. And instead of saying somebody is poor, you say it's not rich. Even verses in the Bible were negative. The Rebbe used to twist them around and make him. He twisted them. It was unbelievable. It was a whole profession. How he took statements from the Talmud and from the Bible and turned them upside down and came out a positive thing. There is a Talmudic statement that says 
that the words of the Torah are poor in one place and rich in another place. It means to say, if you read a story of the Bible and you don't understand what's going on, look somewhere else. We'll, be, we'll finish the story. For example, the story of the, of the spies. It's written twice in the Bible. One place you read part of the story, you understand part of the details. The other time, you, you finish, you get the full picture. That the Talmudic statement is, the words of Torah are poor in one place, or they are rich in another place. The Rebbe will say that the words of the Torah are poor. The Rebbe said, the words of the Torah are rich, sometimes in this place, sometimes in another place. They are never poor. And every level it was, and the Rebbe said, and it's true, when you train yourself to speak a clean language, you become elevated. You become more positive. So be careful, you fall, you break your head. <laughs> what are you predicting bad things? Be careful, because if you, you, you don't want to stand on that, because it, uh, it's not such a good idea. Not to pronounce, and because you, our words are creating something. But here he's talking about, if more simple than this, just not criticize the Jewish people. Okay, now we'll go to number eight. Now that we are out away with we, cure, we, we purified Isaiah with the problem of, of, the, of the unclean lips. We go to number eight. I heard the voice of God consulting the angels, saying, Whom shall I send to speak to the Jewish people, and who will go for us? Who should I send? Nobody wanted to go. Because what happened to Jeremiah when he went? They were ready to kill him. Other prophets were also suffering. Jonah ran away. Nobody wanted. He said, who is going to go? He heard God is having a conversation with the angels. I'm looking for a volunteer. Now, here is different than Moses. Let's see what he said. I said, here, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. What happened to Moses? When God came to Moses, told him, go, save the Jew and redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. What Moses said? No, no. no, I don't have time, I'm too busy, I have an appointment, <laughs> send somebody else, they will not believe me, they this, they this. Seven days an argument with God. Seven days with God is eternity. Here, yeah, he said right away, send me, now go. In any. Who said in any? Abraham. Who else said in any? Isaac, Jacob. <laughs> Isaac said that in any? Maybe. But there's a few inanis, right, in the Bible. Isaiah said inani, inani shlacheni, take me, I'm ready to go. Okay, even he knew, believe me, Isaiah knew what means to be a prophet of the Jewish people. It's not such an easy job to be a leader of the Jewish, and to reprimand them. Okay, what is happening? Number nine. He said, go and tell this people Although you hear the prophet's words, you do not understand. Although you see my miracles, you do not recognize them. Makes, oh, their evil inclination makes the hearts of this people fat and makes their ears heavy and shuts their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Okay, what is he saying here? He says, go to the Jewish people. He had a whole different message that Moses said. Moses is coming to the Jewish people. God is coming to redeem you. He's going to say, it's going to be amazing. Here it was just the opposite. The Jewish people were in a good place. And he came and told them, you better be careful. You are, you're, you're fat. You're becoming fat. And when you're fat, you're too comfortable. When you're comfortable, you don't care. And when you don't care, you forget about God. And you worship idols. And this time was a lot of idol worshiping going on. At least in some of his time. And you will be punished. Yeah, the message seems to be there's no opportunity to repent. Isn't no, that... It doesn't say it. He says if you can you can you could repent. Lest they repent. Lest they repent, no? Lest they see and they hear the eyes and they repent and they come back to me. So the message is they should repent? Sure, sure. Sure. But he's almost telling them I know these guys will not repent, they will be they they are it's too good. That you don't repent. You become, become fat means you become 
full of, full of ourselves, complacent, exactly. Our, the beginning of a demise of a country happens. Everybody comes like this. As long as they are ready to go, it's thriving and thriving. The same thing is about the business, the same thing is about the family, the same thing is about everything. As long as you're going, it's good, it's successful. So when you become, oh, oh, so, probably one more, one less. That's the beginning of that. Sitting countries and societies and civilizations that happened to Rome and to Rome, the biggest civilizations. They became fat and they disappeared. That was the beginning of their minds. And that's what he tells them here. Number 11. I said, God, how long will their hearts be insensitive? How long? Ad Mosai. In the text, it's written only Ad Mosai. How long? You see, the rest is in parentheses. Ad Matai, for how long? When, when will Moshiach will come? When will be the end of this? In Chabad, Ad Mosai became almost like a slogan. Ad Mosai. It's a, it's, a, it's a scream on its own. How far? When will be the end of it? He said, He said, until the cities are destroyed without inhabitants, and the houses without a man, and the land is completely desolate, <laughs> and God has exiled men far away, and there is a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not good news, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that predicting the, the destruction of the ten tribes? Exactly, mm -hmm. it's, it's predicting the destruction of the first temple, absolutely. Continue. Another ten kings will rule in it before this destruction takes place. Then it shall be consumed. But like a terebirth tree, or like an oak, whose stumps remains, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be its stump. It means the holy seed will be left. Something will always be left. No matter what will happen, the Jewish people will survive. Many times people say, oh, there is assimilation and this. The Jewish people will survive. The question is, we will survive. But the Jewish people will survive. The same thing he says here. So is the stump from the tribe of Judah? That will survive? Yes, Mashiach will be from the stump of the tribe of Judah, exactly. Isaiah, for example, he gave the biggest part, the most beautiful prophecies. You know, it's written on the UN building. What's written on the UN building? So it'll be their source in the plush, Yeah, see, it'll be the source in the plush. Who says that? Isaiah. And, and Isaiah. And who? And didn't Hosea also say it? Hosea could be, but Isaiah for sure yeah, says He prophesied the most beautiful uh, prophecies about the coming of Moshiach. But he also said, he told them that it's going to be bad, but he also, he said what's good, the good it's going to be. Here is where Chabad finishes the, 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 the Aftorah of this week. Then the connection to the parish of the week is the whole Mount Sinai experience is about revelation of God. That's what you're going to read in the parasha about the Ten Commandments. And here is another revelation of God that was by the prophet Isaiah. That is so God. Now, this is the continuation, this chapter 7, that's a, the continuation of the, of the Torah, where other uh, Ashkenazi communities continue. Let's read it. And even it's in Shabbos, God forbid, we will not read it. But here we can learn it. We are allowed to learn it. <laughs> it was in the days of King Ahaz, son of Yosem, son of Uzayahu, of Yedahu, that King Retzin... Of Yehuda. Of Yehuda. That King Retzin of Aram and Pekach, son of Remaliyahu, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war, but they could not conquer it. Well, that's a little complicated. Too many names. <laughs> Basically, it was a war against Jerusalem. Who went to the war? Retzin, the king of Aram. Aram was where today is Syria, Syria, right? And the king of Israel. That was before the destruction of Israel. The king of Israel joined the, 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 the gentle king to fight Jerusalem, to fight Judah. But he couldn't. Basically a civil war. Huh? Basically a civil war. Civil war, yeah. Mm -hmm. But always, you know, every time in Jewish history, how the <coughs> non-Jews had a, how they stepped foot in Jerusalem, how they had the end inside the land of Israel. There's always Jews who invited them. The old story of the two, the two brothers, um, the beginning of the, 
of the, sec- the destruction of the second temple, how the Romans had a power on inside Israel. Two Hashmonim brothers. Two, Hashma- two Maccabee brothers for fighting. Two kings. One was a king inside Jerusalem, one king outside Jerusalem. The guy was outside Jerusalem wanted to conquer Jerusalem. But he did not have enough army that he invited the Romans to come help him to fight his brother. And the Romans came in, they said, not you, not you, will, but the bosses. Finished. Every time was like this, and the same thing is here. That's how, the, that's how it starts. Number two. Before the war, the house of David was informed. Aram has set up camp with the Priam. The king's heart and the heart of his people trembled like the trees of the forest shaking from the wind. God said to Yeshua, 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 go out to Ahaz, and you and your son, Shehar Yeshuv, at the edge of the ditch by the upper reservoir at the road near the waterer's field. Say to him, be careful, be calm, don't be frightened, don't become disheartened, because of these two firebrands that have no power to burn and are just smoking in anger. Retzin and the Arameans and the son of Ramaliahu, Ramaliahu. <laughs> since Aram Ephraim and the son of Ramaliahu have plotted evil against you, saying, let's go up against Yehuda, besiege it to repulse them so they will open the gates and we can break into it and take it for ourselves. Let's appoint the son of Tobal as king. Oh. Basically, what he says is that was a war. The, the, the prophet told them, the king Ahaz, before the, the war started, he told them he should know that they are going to come against you. And he was very skilled. And Hashem told them, and the prophet told them, don't worry, because they will not win this war. That's what he told them. Really. Now comes another piece who kind of, kind of, does not have so much a connection to it. Go ahead. Well, we skip, as you may have noticed, in chapter 7, to about chapter, two chapters exactly. later. Chapter to, 9. To the, the continuation by King it's, it, it, it's like in the middle of chapter 9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for a boy, his Giyahu, has been born to us. A son has been given to us, and he will allow the authority of Torah to rest on his shoulders. He will be called Prince of... That's about Hezkiah. Hezkiah is the king we mentioned before. In his time, actually, he made sure that there will not be a child who will not learn Torah. He was... It's written that in his time, almost there was not... It was a very unique time. It never before happened such a thing, and much, many years later also now, that he made, he made his business to have Jewish education for all. There was another time like this about, we learned about a high priest with the name Yoshua ben Gamla in the second temple. In, this time, in that time, you know, it's written in the Shema, you have to learn Torah, Vishinantam Levanecha, right? You should teach it to your children. That every parent teaches to his kids, right? Simple. And what's the problem? The problem is the children of the orphans. The orphans. Who's going to teach them? There's no father at all. Who's going to teach them Torah? Did Yeshua ben Gamla made a, a system of setting up schools that all these kids will have teachers. He said that it becomes, it's the, it's, the, it's the responsibility of the community to teach Torah to the kids who do, the parents are not there to teach them. <laughs> then, uh, and, and it's written in the Talmud Remember, is this meant for good? Because he, if not for him, the Torah would be forgotten from Israel. What means if not for him? There is enough kids who learn Torah, but if there is one child who the Torah who is not learning Torah, it means the Torah was forgotten from Israel. From one child that he has children, and he has children, and he has children, the Torah could be forgotten. From this family, the Torah will be forgotten. Every Jewish child is important. Not one child can be to be lost, and that's the and that's what Hiskiao, the child will be born. The king, why God made to Hiskiao such a miracle that in the story of Sanherib, 
that all the, the army of Sanherif, they all died at the night of Pesach and they ran away. I didn't finish the story. The night of Pesach, it was a siege around Jerusalem with 82,000 soldiers and they all died by a plague and they ran away and Jerusalem was not destroyed in the time of Hezekiah. Why? Because he, he made his business to teach Jewish children Torah. Swords over the doorways. Yeah, and he said anybody who will not learn Torah will be stopped. Basically, he made it law. Everybody is to come to learn Torah. No such thing as you cannot learn Torah. And he and he turned things around big time. But this is really the obligation of every one of us is to make sure that the, that there is, if one Jewish child doesn't learn Torah, if one child of one one orphan doesn't learn, it's like the whole Torah is being is is being forgotten from the Jewish people if there is many others who can learn Torah. First of all, because this person can become the Moses, I mean, can become the next leader of the Jewish people. The Talmud says that from the poor kids, we should respect the poor families because from their children will come out the next generation of scholars. Now, the rich kids are tired, are lazy, they don't want to learn. The first generation of American Jews, the kids, all the scientists and everything, now, as the Chinese. Huh. And, and one family in so right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're actually Jewish for French. <laughs> so the trick is to convert the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> we have to convert the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's finish it. Okay. Just a little context here. Remember, these are the two guys who are, who are knocking at the, 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 the gates of Jerusalem, and the king, Ahaz, is really worried. So we, we pick up here, he's going to have a son. What's the significance? Okay. He will be called Prince of Peace mm -hmm. by the wondrous advisor, God Almighty, Eternal Father. It should sound very familiar to, to those of you who've listened to Christmas music. His name signifies much authority and peace without end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and support it with justice and righteousness now and forever. God's zeal will accomplish this. Beautiful. Justice and righteousness, that's the, that's the way Judaism goes. Usually, it's written first tzedakah and then, and, just, uh, and then justice. First righteousness, then first you do tzedakah and then mishpat. Here it's written mishpat and tzedakah. But then what means uh, you should do ju uh, righteousness, uh, justice and righteousness? You should judge how much, you, you, you deserve, how much money you need and the rest should give for tzedakah. That's the real way of giving tzedakah. You know, usually we say, you take our money, you give 10% of charity. Okay, the big righteous people give 20% of charity. Then there is a level, all the opposite. He judges how much money he needs for himself, and the rest goes for charity. But this is already a level, very holy people. So, so four or five hundred years later, another religion takes the phrase Prince of Peace. Yes, yes. Uh, they take all these phrases and apply it to their guy. But in the context, you can see it here exactly what it is. It's sure. Ahaz, why is Ahaz worried? His kingdom is almost about to bite the dust. And God says, wait a minute, you're going to have a child. What does that mean? There's a new king. You can't have a new king and be conquered. So the message is, you're going to have a new king, you're going to survive. Kingdom will carry on. Very nice, thank you. <laughs>